Hello, welcome to Reflections on the Scriptures. My name is Murray Shanks. I'm the pastor of Foster Baptist Church on the mid-north coast of New South Wales in Australia. We're continuing in our series through the book of Acts. And uh, today we're turning to chapter 18. So if you're here over the last couple of weeks, you remember that Paul had rushed down the coast from Berea when Jews from Thessalonica had followed him south, where they had incited the locals into an angry, angry mob who were seeking to arrest him. Paul's life was at risk. Silas, Timothy and Luke were in hiding. Jason and some other local Christian converts had been forced to post a bond at risk of their own freedom to prevent Paul from preaching in the town. There was simply no option. I mean, Paul had to disappear. So he was sent off on a ship to Athens. And last week, as we looked at Acts 17, we read about Paul preaching in the Areopagus and declaring the gospel to the great minds of Athens. So let's open the word of God to Acts 18, praying the Lord may speak to us through his word today. Verse 1 says, Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Corinth is a, it's a very important city for us. Corinth in the first century was the capital of the Roman province of Achaia. Corinth was an ancient city which was destroyed by the Romans around 150 years earlier but it had been rebuilt in recent times by Julius Caesar. It was in the first century. Uh, it was a thoroughly modern, thriving, important city. And it's abundantly clear why Paul chose to travel to Corinth to share the gospel. It's also important because it was to the church in Corinth where Paul addressed two of his most comprehensive and important letters, First and Second Corinthians, which now form part of the New Testament scriptures. The arrival of Paul in Corinth was a very significant part of the early church story. So Paul travelled from Athens to Corinth. Verse 2 says, There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. So let's just stop there for a minute. Take note of this. Caesar, Caesar had expelled all the Jews from Rome. Emperor Claudius had kicked all the Jews out of Rome. And we, we know from other ancient texts that they were expelled because of rioting based around the teaching of someone called Crestus. This was more than likely a simple typo, and they actually meant the, to write Christus, Christ. Right? We can't really be sure. Luke just tells us that this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, had recently moved to Corinth from Rome. During these days, uh, there would have been a long stream of Jewish refugees heading east looking for a new home, a new place to live. Now, Paul's plan was always to take the gospel to Rome, and I guess, left to his own devices, this is where he would have been headed right at this time. As we've seen over the last few weeks, the Holy Spirit was shepherding them each step of the way. It would seem that now the Spirit was sending them down through Greece. Well, Paul would, sometime later in chains, eventually find his way to Rome. But for now, the Spirit of God was saying, no, just trust me. It's a good lesson for us, isn't it? Sometimes our plans don't go as we might like, but we need to trust the Lord each step of the way. In faith, we know that he always wills for our good and he will always do the best for us. So Paul met two of these refugees from Rome, Aquila and Priscilla. 
And it's very likely that they were already believers. Luke tells us nothing of their conversion, and it's highly likely that the gospel had already travelled to Rome by this stage. After all, it was the centre of the known world. So it's very likely that Aquila and Priscilla were already believers when they met Paul in Corinth. Verse 3 says, Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. It's good to note the fact that Paul made sure he wasn't a burden to anyone. Not only was Paul a highly trained theologian, remember he was literally a shining light of the Pharisaic fraternity in his pre-conversion days, but he also had a trade, which was very typical at this time. Rabbis were expected to earn their own keep. Paul was a tent maker, or today we might call him a leather worker. One didn't achieve what Paul had achieved without a lot of dedication and hard work over many, many years. In saying that, I'm not taking anything away from God's grace or the fact that Paul's achievements were, that is, his, his real lasting achievements, a direct result of the Holy Spirit's empowering and gifting. Paul's life teaches us that we need both. We need the Holy Spirit's gifting. We need to be aware of his gifting in our own life. We need to submit to his leading and always trust him. But We also need to work hard, very hard, at developing and using what God has given us. Clearly, Paul was given a razor-sharp mind. He developed and used his mind for God's glory. He was also given skillful hands. He had had tradey skills. He, He was not just an intellectual. He was very much a tradesman. He used and developed those skills in years past as he worked hard at developing his mind. As a result... Paul was able to support himself when the other when the other funding wasn't available for him. It's an invaluable lesson for us, I think, especially for young people who are at such a, a crucial turning point of their life. Choose now to work hard, very hard, to develop the gifts, the skills, talents God has given you. Work with all your might, but also know that nothing of real worth happens without God's Holy Spirit working alongside and ahead of you. Verse 4 says, Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. You see the pattern? It's a good pattern for us to follow, I think. Paul worked hard all week to earn his keep, to pay his own way, and on his day off, on the Sabbath, he spent it serving the Lord, sharing the gospel. I'm not saying that you have to work on ministry stuff all day, every day, but I do want to draw your attention to the apparent focus of Paul's life. His every effort appears to have been targeted at fulfilling the mission given him. His reason for doing everything he did was to complete the work the Lord had given him to do. Paul knew what his life was about. He knew the direction he was to always head as a slave of Christ, a servant of the King, and so must we. So let's continue on from verse 5. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia... Paul spent all his time preaching the word. There's been a change in circumstances, and Paul simply goes with the flow. Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, and clearly they came with resources. They came with money to support Paul in his missionary efforts. And Paul wasn't too proud to accept the money. I want you to notice this. When Paul needed to earn his own keep, he worked hard. When the Lord provided for his needs through the generosity of others, Paul accepted their help and continued to work hard. He was now free to spend all his time preaching the word 
and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was, in fact, the Old Testament Messiah they longed for. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. He says in verse 5, But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go and preach to the Gentiles. Now, we need to focus on what's happening here because I think it can get a bit confusing. Well, it was for me anyway. Paul increases his evangelistic efforts, preaching day and night to the Jews about Jesus, verse 6, but when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, your blood is upon your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Paul's had it with the Jews. He's had it with his own countrymen. He's sick of pouring all of his effort into these hard-headed Jews. And so he just walks out. Taking his coat off, he shakes the dust off and says, your blood is on your own head. I am innocent. He's off. You know, when I read that, I wondered if there are people I'm wasting my time with. I wondered if I should simply just say to some, I've had enough. You're not interested in hearing the good news about Jesus. You're not interested in salvation or forgiveness of sins. You're you're simply not interested in God. You know, are, are there people in your life who you feel like that about? I have to confess, I have felt like that many times over the years as a pastor and church leader. Are you tempted to to say what Paul said? Well, if that's the case, have a careful look at what Paul did after saying those words. Verse 7 says, Then he left, so he was off, right? Then he left and he went to the home of Titius Justus, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Can you imagine what that poor kid went through at school, having a name like that, Titius Justus? Can you imagine playing out on the street and having mum yelling out, Titius! Titius, it's time for your bath. Come on in. That poor guy. Anyway, he's now he's now living next door. He's grown up, poor Titius Justice. He's a Gentile who worshipped God and he lived next door to the synagogue. After telling the Jews at the synagogue that he'd had it with them and he was going to reach out to the Gentiles, Paul moves in with a God-fearing Gentile, Titius Justice. He lived right next door to the synagogue. The Greek tells us that his home literally shared a wall with the synagogue. Paul might have said what he said, but his actions tell us a different story. Paul didn't give up on the Jews. He just lost the plot for a day or so until the Lord refocused his attention. You have a look in the next couple of verses. Luke gives us some clues as to what really happened. Verse 8, Crispus, another interesting name, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, And everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers and were baptised. Paul moved in right next door to the synagogue and the leader of the synagogue, a bloke by the name of Crispus, got saved, as did his whole household. And then Luke includes a little paragraph which gives us even more insight into Paul's state of mind. Verse 9 says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in the vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out, don't be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack and harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, teaching the word of God. Paul lost the plot for a few days, 
well, maybe a few weeks. Have you ever been there? The stress of what God has called you to becomes too much and you just want to run away and hide. We don't know what the Jews said to Paul exactly. We do know that he turned up the heat on them, preaching at them full time, and they got upset. They opposed and insulted him. That's what it says. Maybe they threatened him as well. You know, I I think today we would say Paul had post-traumatic stress disorder. I think in the early part of last century, coming out of the First World War, Second World War, people would say that he was shell-shocked. If anyone was going to have PTSD, it would be Paul. Paul has been beaten up and thrown into prison. I mean, only a few months before, Paul, Paul had people throw rocks at him to the point where they thought he was dead. They dragged his body out of the city for the dogs to eat. I mean, this guy has been through a really rough time. But have a look, have another look at verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid. You see, Paul was afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. Paul was afraid to keep on speaking. But God said, don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack and harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. And when I first read that, I thought Paul was saying, I thought, sorry, I thought God was saying to Paul, don't be afraid because there are lots of Christians here who will look out for you. I thought that's what God was saying, okay? But then I realised, well, that couldn't be true. I mean, there weren't many Christians yet. The gospel message had only just arrived in Corinth. This is the doctrine of predestination lived out in the real world. You see, God is telling Paul, there are many people in this city who belong to me. They haven't decided to follow me yet. Many have not even heard the gospel yet. But they are mine. They weren't Christians yet. But God knows they are his. God knows those he has chosen. God knows those who will be saved. And still, Paul is commanded to speak out, to keep on preaching, to keep on risking his life in sharing the good news about Jesus. God knows those who are his. He knows those who will be saved. Yet running parallel to that, Paul is commanded to keep on preaching the gospel, to keep on arguing the case for Christ, to pour all of his efforts into leading just one more person to know and serve Christ. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, teaching the word of God. Paul was afraid, discouraged and depressed. But the Lord spoke to him, encouraged him, and he persevered. And many came to know Jesus. And it was during this 18-month period that Paul wrote 1 and 2 Thessalonians. So if you want to know what going, what's going through Paul's head at this time, just open the Bible like I did last week and read through 1 and 2 Thessalonians. It's amazing how it will speak into your understanding of what's happening in Acts 18. You know, Luke then finishes this section with a little story which at first glance, one might wonder why he bothered to include it at all. Verse 12 says, But when Gallio became governor of Achaia, 
some Jews rose up, rose up together against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to our law. But just as Paul started to make his defence, Gallio turned to Paul's accusers and said, Listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing or a serious crime, it would have, I would have reason to accept your case. But since it is merely a question of words and names and your Jewish law, take care of it yourselves. I refuse to judge such matters. And he threw them out of the courtroom. The crowd then grabbed Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him right there in the courtroom. But Gallio paid no attention. Gallio, a Roman, becomes governor of the region of Achaia. Some of the Jews, connected with the synagogue, right next to where Paul was living, rise up and bring charges against him. They accuse Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the Old Testament law. The Roman governor, Gallio, wasn't impressed and he threw the case out. Now, watch what happened. The Jews who brought the case are thrown out of the courtroom and the crowd, or as one of the ancient manuscript notes, the Greeks, attacked a guy by the name of Sosthenes. Now, who is Sosthenes, I hear you ask? Well, he's the new leader of the synagogue. That's what the text says. You see, the old leader, Crispus, had become a Christian and it simply wouldn't do to have a Christian as the head of the Jewish synagogue the Greeks grabbed Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him right there in the courtroom. But Gallio, the governor, paid no attention. I mean, everyone's involved. The Jews, the Christian, Paul, the Greeks, the Romans. The Jews were trying to get the Christian lynched, but the Greeks are beating up the Jews. You see, the Greeks hated the Jews. And the Romans are standing by watching, enjoying the show, laughing their heads off. But what is Paul, the Christian, doing? Remember, Paul, the one who's been wronged, well, he's the one who was dragged into court on trumped-up charges. What's Paul doing? Well, Luke doesn't really tell us, does he? But maybe we should know what Paul was doing already. Maybe we shouldn't need to be told what Paul was doing. What do you think Paul was doing? I think Paul would have been loving his enemy because that's what Jesus told him to do. Love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. That's what Jesus said. And I think God might have been teaching Paul a thing or two about love during all of this. And maybe that's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians, to this very group of Christians, just two years later, love is patient and kind. Love's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. It's amazing, isn't it? Who wrote Corinthians? Who wrote the letter to the Corinthians? Paul, right? Paul. If you have your Bible open, flip over to the first verse of 1 Corinthians, this letter that Paul wrote to these very people, and have a look at who also attached his name to this very first letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1 says, This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Sosthenes. 
Sosthenes. I mean, it's got to be the same guy. Most scholars seem to agree. Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, the leader of the Jews who brought Paul to trial before a Roman governor, the guy who wanted Paul put to death, the guy who was beaten senseless by the Greeks when the trial was thrown out of court. Sosthenes and Paul, two trophies of divine grace, write to their brothers and sisters in Christ, living in Corinth just two years later from across the Aegean Sea from nearby Ephesus. I know what Paul was doing that day and in the days which followed. Paul was loving his enemy, Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and he eventually led him to Christ. Praise God. You know, for us today, this passage raises a number of questions, doesn't it? Are we working hard to support ourselves, making sure we're not a burden to anyone? Are we developing the gifts God has given us? Are we focused on what the Lord has called us to do? How are we to respond when faced with fear? God says, fear not, for I am with you. Do we keep quiet? No, God says, keep on preaching the gospel, for I have many people in this city who are mine. Does that mean we don't bother because God has already predestined them to be saved? No, God commands us to share the good news until he returns. And when faced with opposition, when presented with people who were stubborn and abusive, Paul might have felt like shaking the dust off of his coat and walking away, but in reality, that's not what he did. Instead, he loved his enemies. He chose, he chose not to be irritable. He chose not to keep a record of wrongs. He chose not to rejoice over injustice. He never gave up. He never lost faith. He was always hopeful, and as a result, he endured in the power of God. And we today, more than 2,000 years later, are part of the ongoing fruit of Paul's work in that ancient city of Corinth. Amen. May the Lord bless you today.